mumble. That's recording. Multi-channel recording. And then I see your little red light comes on. Yes. Which means we're both recording. Both recording. Which is awesome. I'm going to, uh, let's just do this and also record. Here we go. Perfecto. Perfect. Perfecto. Uh, I'm going to make sure that I record video version as well just to have another backup. So I'm going to do that. Here we go. And last but not least, I am about to hit the stream button, which will record it on Twitch's end too. Oop. You there? Yep. Okay, thank God. Yes. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, this is Colin. And this is Chris. And like the first snowfall of winter this is shiny podcast following the light and throwing a little shade on the newest and brightest in today's gaming and technology it is sunday december 10th 2017 changing it up a little bit uh we are Catching up after some time away for the holidays, uh, but uh, we are so glad to be back. And it is a beautiful Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. So we are in the northeastern part of, of the country, and, and a bunch of us got, got our first real snowfall of, of the winter, um, at, least, at least down in Boston we did. Yeah, I'm I'm looking out into uh, a forest scene in Vermont, and it is absolutely covered it is a winter wonderland out there. Mm-hmm. Very pretty. Yeah, it's gorgeous. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we think we have a fair amount to, to, to talk about. And, and some of this was was from right around Thanksgiving and uh, but no, no less interesting or exciting. Uh, but um, yeah, what uh, what do we got going on here? Well, first, I think we should start the show talking about this this Apple thing. Yeah, because it's been a thread that we've sort of followed the entirety of this show and the show before this, the the, um, that Apple's focus is shifting away from, you know, or or has shifted away from desktop computing to mobile computing because iOS is Mm -hmm. frankly just where, you know, it's where the where they're they make their money. Um, Right. This is quite the tale. This is a security tale uh of epic proportions and pretty big <laughs> i don't use this that term lightly the 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 dramatic start to this story was several days ago when somebody over twitter <laughs> over twitter <laughs> mind you so in public tweeted to apple and said hey we we noticed like a huge problem in Mac hey, OS hey, I, hey guys, I Sierra. Guys over here. <laughs> There's just this thing we'd like to point out. You don't have to raise your hand, Lemmy. <laughs> Apparently you do. You do. <laughs> Anyone can log in to Mac OS High Sierra. That's 1013, I believe, right? Um, with an empty password as root after you just click on the login button a couple times. Oops. Oops. 
<laughs> and I, uh, I really love uh, down, you know, looking at the Twitter feed and Apple was like, We'd like to work with you to figure out what's happening. DM us with the type of Mac you're using. <laughs> like the very stock, like Apple support response oh, yeah. initially to, to this. That was one of my favorite parts reading yeah, through the, this. The Twitter robots <laughs> at first were, <laughs> were, were in control. <laughs> Doo -doo -doo. Yeah. <laughs> but this was a huge problem. This was very, very replicatable at, you know, immediately. It was immediately out in the open. I, I, my heart immediately sank for every, you know, school or like library administrator of a mac lab anywhere oh man you know, kids around and just like, <laughs> yeah. like you literally can just go under like system preferences users type root and you're good to go <laughs> and then at that point once you did so, so you so to be clear it wasn't like you could go up to a a machine that that was totally logged out and just type root and log in you had to go through this step first of having like a like an unprivileged user access to system preferences but once you mm -hmm. did that you could you're, you're in. in and you could then log in as root you know from the login screen so it it's it's you know you it's a it's a huge <laughs> back door and of course once you're root i mean that's it you that's, it. that's your computer everything <laughs> that's that's yeah. that's your computer now so it gets better though because at, at first uh, there was what, 36 or so, 24, 36 hours later, there was a, a patch that came out, and I imagine that the the macOS security team probably did not sleep that entire time. Those that <laughs> which led to yeah, which led to another <laughs> issue. The initial patch disabled file sharing. Bigger oops. Well, maybe not bigger. Well, I mean, another. Oops. I, yeah, I guess if I had to pick one or the other, but <laughs> yeah. really, I'd like to have you know my cake and eat it too. In this, none of these. Yeah, problems. exactly. <laughs> so uh, the initial patch that fixed this uh, root login vulnerability disabled the built-in file sharing capability of macOS. So you couldn't do any network sharing. You couldn't do any like you know uh, you know point-to-point -point drop. You know anything like that. It just totally broke. So then they re reverted it, but to the initial state, which was an unpatched root <laughs> vulnerability. <laughs> Eventually, another day or so went by, and they were able to push a patch out that did not break file sharing and did not, um, you know, uh, dis uh, leave this root vulnerability wide open. So as always, it's incredibly recommended to, if you're running Mac OS, High Sierra. doesn't affect previous versions. It's just High Sierra. But if you are, you really got to make sure that you're completely up to date because that's such a nasty, such a nasty vulnerability. Mm -hmm. uh, yep. So, subtle, but very mm -hmm. effective. Now, this was hilarious to watch unfold you know at the moment i don't have too many macintoshes under my um stead so i got to kind of <laughs> sit back and just kick, watch kick back and watch <laughs> the fireworks instead of like <laughs> scrambling like crazy in the wee hours of the night you know um <laughs> but it 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 was it's really inexcusable really like we can't just be oh look at this big no 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 no. this is the richest company in the world that screwed up on such a basic security implementation 
And the worst part of it is we found out over Twitter. Yeah, somebody who had to let them know I, <laughs> over Twitter. I don't think it's evil to refocus the company completely on mobile. But what's really a problem is that they're not, they don't seem to be able to, to, to sort of negotiate this transition. And they're not, Apple's not being very clear with the direction of, of you know, of macOS in general, right? It was just a couple mm -hmm. of years ago that they released the trash can Mac Pro, much to the disappointment of the vast majority of the, of the production, you know, the media production community, because it's not a modular, you know, thing. They couldn't like swap in parts and upgrade it over time. You were kind of, you know, stuck with a pretty unique little thing. Um, sure. Which a lot of people started to see as sort of like this, this, you know, release of that market by Apple. Okay. So all of that is fine if you kind of communicate that, but they seem to really want to, to, to just rest on their laurels of, of desktop support for as long as they can all the while, while iOS is like, you know, 90 plus percent of their revenue, you know? Yeah, man. I think it's a big problem. Yeah, I think it's a really because <laughs> yeah, it, it, so. it really creates this disconnect with with people like the, the, the delta between like how sort of secure in their computing people feel with their Macintoshes due to like a lot of traditional um, paradigms uh, versus the 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 reality of how it is now and how this company is like less and less putting resources into the protection and stability of this platform in favor of another one. It's a very difficult thing to, to navigate because I think, you know, unless somebody's had some sort of personal experience, it's hard to break that, you know, yet I can't, end up recommending <laughs> or like, you know, it's like, you know, somebody says, Oh, Hey, look, I bought this new Mac. And I'm, I'm just thinking in the back of my mind, like, okay, Great. you know, it used to be like, ah, God, they're expensive, but you know, whatever makes sense. It's a stable, a stable machine, but it more and more, it's like starting to feel like windows level, like windows eight or like Vista level, like, Oh God, what am I going to get that call? Yeah. Instability. And, and, and yeah. you know how much I hate to give, you know, Microsoft any, <laughs> any any uh but like <laughs> the, the difference between the difference between like the types of vulnerabilities that have really gotten traction in windows 10 versus mac os over the last year or so is is really starting to i think make that case statistically you know mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, the, yeah, and, you know, you got to think, too, Microsoft has hundreds of millions of, of users, <laughs> hundreds of millions of users. And, and, and I don't know, man, it just feels like we're on this cliff. And I, and I wish the company could be transparent with their plans. That would be but nice. Enough about Apple. Let's move along. Either way, make sure everything's <laughs> up to date and in the show notes if you're not or you're having file sharing problems, we have a quick uh, terminal command to uh, get your Mac right as rain. We talk about net neutrality a lot 
it's a it's a pretty big deal. There's a reason we talk about it a lot. Um, unfortunately, our country is not doing anything to keep it around. However, another country uh, has implemented some of the strongest net neutrality protections in the world, and that country is India. Of all, places. one of the largest populations on the planet is now being protected yes. by some of the most aggressive pro net neutrality regulations on the planet, which is good. I mean, you know, if this was a dodgeball game, the odds would be looking very good right now. <laughs> uh, but it's, um, I mean, you know, we will have a, a link to the. Uh, all of the measures that they're taking. Um, but but it's really great, some of the things that they're including in here. I think one of the things that uh, I particularly liked was, uh, it was Article L of, of this, of this um, recommendation where there's a, a collaborative mechanism of, a, of, 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 you know, oversight committee, it sounds like, comprised of, yes, members of some of the ISPs and uh, content providers, but also from research and academia, civil society organizations, consumer representatives. So it's it'll be a, a, a really, truly collaborative uh, oversight committee to make sure that this is that this is adhered to, which I that all parties are represented. Right. I thought that was just great. <laughs> it's just the best uh, to, to make sure that this is uh, that that everyone is being held accountable to these measures. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful to see, and I and I really have to commend the Indian government on on putting forth and 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 recognizing how important this is. Yes, recognizing its importance and 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 crafting a regulation that reflects the current situation. It's amazing how 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 is it that a country five or six times the size of ours <laughs> is able to negotiate it. You know, one thing that's interesting about Indian um, internet infrastructure is they have quite a few, a larger popul uh, percent of the population that's using mobile exclusively. Interesting. You know, they, especially in some of the remote parts of the com country. Um, I guess that makes sense because if, if, you know, you have a lot of places that maybe don't necessarily have, I don't know, reliable electricity or, um, you know, you, the infrastructure the in required for this right. sweet desktop here next to me with a, you know, nice fat AMD graphics card is pretty ridiculous when you think about it, you know, like not just like the power, but the whole distribution network of getting stuff to my door, you know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's very much a, a, a fairly unique thing on the, on the global <laughs> scale. Whereas a little bit of a power source and a, and a single device to your name with cellular data is, is a lot easier to get around the world. Definitely. And that's exactly what a lot of the more remote parts of India have seen. In this country, in the United States, we make a distinction between wireless and wired internet where net neutrality laws, well, they don't apply at all, or at least they... They might not after the vote next weekend right. or next week, but um, our wireless laws in the United States are not subject to net neutrality regulation, which is why you see all of those, you know, like the Binjan programs and, you know, the 
specialty services that don't count against your your download or your mm-hmm. um, you know your data, data a lot. Yeah. You know, whereas I, I believe that this does not draw the same distinction. My understanding is that this regulation is actually going to treat all connections neutral, which is pretty cool. Yeah, it does. Yeah, absolutely. So a great model for maybe future generations to to enjoy. Uh, we probably won't. <laughs> but um, but it's great to see that, yeah, uh, uh, especially a country as, as large as India with such a large population is, is taking, taking the bull by the horns with this. This story is one that we are going to be following for quite a little while, especially um, as sort of convention season kicks off. We're going to, um, there's going to be a lot more information on this stuff coming forward. So are you familiar with the uh, management engine, the uh, Intel ME? Not terribly, not before reading, reading about this to, to be perfectly honest, something I should be aware of, but well, let's, let's, let's get you up to speed because it's a fair bet that if, if you haven't really heard of it, that most people haven't either. Okay. Uh, The management engine is a firmware level system that Intel provides embedded in their hardware. So, you know, deep in the guts of the, of the CPUs and motherboards. The management engine is exactly that. It is a mechanism for remotely adminning systems, right? Right. Here's the problem. It is a closed source binary blob that sits with full access to your system lower than your operating system in the stack. So an open door that you can't inspect lower (laughs) or secure closer to the hardware than you have access to. What could go wrong? (laughs) Turns out that the management engine alone has eight CVEs that are going to be disclosed over the next coming weeks. Massive security vulnerabilities that allow for remote code execution, uh, uh, you know, uh, complete, basically owning the box. We don't need to go through it all, but you can yep. totally take over the system through this management engine and there's nothing you can do about it. A little bit ago, we talked about the Nerf initiative that Google mm-hmm. is behind. This is a direct response to this problem to replace EFI firmware across their hardware fleet right. to, to, to minimize these uh, low level services that are running like this management engine to get rid of that stuff and just may provide a much simpler uh, system. Okay. Well, now that we've got a little background, <laughs> what you're starting to see is a lot of smaller companies and bigger ones actually that are focused on this that are that you know have an eye to both the needs of security for businesses and enterprises and the the rights of people not to have their shit broken into by <laughs> stuff they can't control uh, are they're starting to publicly recognize and ship devices that have the management engine disabled very cool definitely 
company like uh, System76 is doing it. They have a set of laptops that they were that they have already released that they will be killing the management engine in uh, in a future firmware update. And they're moving toward uh, disabling this completely in in their laptops. In their laptops for for you know they say hopefully all future models. That's great, and you don't have to rely on yeah this yeah management engine that you have no control over. Right, 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 right. I think most people, when you go up to your to a computer and you sit down to do whatever it is that you're going to do with your computer would reasonably like to assume that you are in control of that device. You know, you paid money for it. <laughs> it's got your name on it, all your stuff's in it. It kind of feels like it should be something that you uniquely control, right? That, that's the ideal situation, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, cool extended part of this story that is not in this article that we're linked is that it's not just small Linux vendors that are doing this, actually. Dell has recently started very quietly. They're not going super loud about it because they're probably trying not to piss off Intel. <laughs> but Dell is actually starting to release a lot of their business laptops with the management engine disabled at, at point of sale. Oh, right on. Which is really cool. Yeah. Really cool. So Good for them. Because I, I feel like Dell might be a company that would just kind of gloss over that kind of thing. <laughs> no offense, Dell. No, I, I think Dell of 10 years ago absolutely would have. I don't think they would have cared at all. But Dell in the last five years seems to be a lot more competitive. They, you know, I think they've got an eye on these sort of details that are maybe closer to the uh, desires of the development community. Mm -hmm. You know, I think I think that's a big piece of it. And so... It seems like this kind of thing they're becoming more responsive on. It could mean that, you know, um, uh, it could mean a change in sort of, you know, the Dell's attitude from the, the Bayamoth that I know. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but we'll see. Either way, it's a, it's a really cool thing to see this, you know, even ahead of the, the, the bad news that we'll find out at Black Hat mentions mm -hmm. that are coming down the pipe in the next couple months. Um, it's really cool just to see companies sort of proactively tackling this vulnerability Definitely. and this weakness in your system head on. It is. It is refreshing, especially in a climate of ignoring this kind of thing and pretending it doesn't exist until a major, major security breach happens. Could you mean a little company called Uber? Is that what this segue is about? Uber. Uber. It's French. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yes, exactly. So. If you weren't already devoted to avoiding Uber at all costs, this might seal the deal for you. <laughs> Uber concealed a, a huge uh, hack that uh, exposed the data of 57 million users and drivers. Yeah. And what's worse is that they paid um, uh, $100,000 uh, covered up. They basically laundered it through a bug bounty program to delete that information and keep the breach quiet. Right. right. Uh, this, <laughs> I love this. It's like, it's like they get a call, right? And hacker, hacker Lee 73 is like, okay, I have... 57 million credentials. I want $100,000. And Uber's like, well, we can't deal with criminals. 
However, if you apply to our bug bounty program <laughs> and responsibly disclose it, we'd be happy to allocate resources to the tune of exactly that amount. <laughs> so this, I believe, happened in uh, October of 2016. So this was last year. Uh, as we mentioned, it got covered up. So it's just coming out now. I, 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 <laughs> I, I have to feel a, just just a little bad for the the current chief executive because they really inherited uh, a real just shit company. Uh, I would have left a while ago if I were them, but uh, the uh, Dara uh, Kosorau Shahi, <laughs> I'm not, probably not saying that right. Uh, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> just, you know, with, with everything happening with, um, uh, you know, sexual misconduct allegations and, uh, just, just the company being really, really shady and awful. If you, if you listen, uh, to, to a, um, podcast called the dollop, they have a really great episode about Uber and their company practices and just how awful they are uh that that listening to that episode actually is what um sealed the deal for me like i was a little bit on the edge i was kind of like eh, maybe i shouldn't be using this service and then i heard listen to that episode and i was like that's it i am done uh so i'm hoping that if people listen to this they'll finally get rid of get rid of this and use other ride sharing services Made you a lift man for life. That's huh? right. <laughs> yeah, this is a real testament to the irresponsibility of the management at Uber. Maybe that's changed with the with the new uh, administration. We shall see. I, I feel like I feel like Uber has is such a double edged sword. It feels like everything that they touch is is simultaneously interesting because of the power that they bring to changing you know an industry or or a paradigm within an industry, but also they seem to leave just this smear of shit on everything <laughs> and it's it just like it just it's just leaves a terrible taste in your mouth that little extra layer of of sheen on top of things the company is i don't know if they're going to exist much more than i than a don't think couple years will. but if they if they do crumble we'll look back at a, a this breach of 57 million <laughs> users information as um one of the bullets in the poor head of the beast yeah and and yeah and not only as i mean it wasn't just the the you know, customers it was the the drivers too right so it's, it's affecting both um both sides of the business so yeah that's uh that's pretty bad uh kind of a follow-up to that which i i thought was just kind of funny that you know in the midst of this you know distract uh you know fog screen <laughs> Uber, pay no attention to the security <laughs> breach behind the curtain to the poo behind the curtain um uber uh <laughs> which it just really just seems like a des yeah desperate attempt here uh announces some sort of flying car project like that they think is going to be up and running and you know by by 2020 two years from now two three years from now <laughs> it's just like oh yeah no problem i what? can't see any reason why that wouldn't be true guys 
Um, the way I, things I, go these days, you'd be surprised. I'm surprised uh, it doesn't come with, you know, uh, a, 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 a some NVIDIA Tegra GPU with, you know, a deep machine learning API that immediately connects to your AWS cloud infrastructure as a service um, so- software platform um, flying car with a, with a, with a developer <laughs> SDK. <laughs> and, oh, Linux, and Linux support if we hit the stretch goal. <laughs> guys guys it's 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 a it's gonna be great you should just you should just look at this amazing wonderful thing meanwhile your house is on fire tesla their new uh semi semi truck uh is 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 out and uh, uh accepting pre-orders <laughs> this thing's awesome it looks pretty cool i i have to say it's super slick so cool <laughs> Uh, and and not only does it look cool, but it does the job very well. I mean, all right, so they're advertising a three to five hundred mile range, depending on which package you you go with, with a base price of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. Yeah, that's not that's not bad. That's crazy <laughs> competitive. That's crazy competitive. There really is. That's like, whoa. I mean, you know, that's in the range that semis normally cost. Mm-hmm. You know, that's and 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 guaranteed. It's going to be a lot more fun to drive this puppy. I've seen a lot of reports coming down the pipe that you know big companies are putting in three orders. I saw like Anheuser Busch ordered forty of right. them. Um, what was another one. Uh, I think UPS ordered 10. Uh, oh, right on. Was yeah, I, I heard about the Anheuser-Busch, but not not the others. I mean, what's 40 semis in the grand scheme of things, you know? That's... Especially for a company like Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a pilot project. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's right an on, but amazing this... thing. I mean, that's, you know, that kind of a range with the power necessary to pull weight like that is just astounding. Yeah, and, and that... That's actually one of the questions that I kind of had, and I, I don't know. Maybe it got addressed here. Yeah, it is is that mileage and power consumption based on a full load, or oh, that's um, a good question, or based on on you know the the ca- the 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 um, can't speak uh, the truck being empty, <laughs> the container being empty. Gosh, that's a really good question. I would hope that it was under full load for the. Load I would too. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise, that's really dumb yep but uh this thing looks great it's um it is a a, it's a single seater so it's like a it's a center console it like it dude it looks like a spaceship it It looks like this thing looks like it's about to like um no man's sky is about to take off into the (laughs) the atmosphere they have a, a rendered image of the cockpit too to see and you're just surrounded by like touch screens and 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 like open window <laughs> it's intense uh but uh yeah i hope i hope this succeeds because this looks really cool and it's it seems very uh i think it will but i think more than you know the most important thing about this is just that it has proved the concept you know like yes we can build this vehicle 
yes, we can build it to these specs and yes, it can be cost competitive with other fossil fuel offerings. That's, Definitely. you know, that alone is whether or not this is the killer product. And I think it very well might be, but that alone is going to just spur so much competition here. You know, it's sort of related. Did you see the, the Twitter exchange between um, the CEO of Boeing and Elon Musk? No. Uh, the CEO of Boeing called out Elon over Twitter and said that Boeing is going to reach Mars before SpaceX. Hmm. And Elon said, do it. <laughs> awesome. So perfect. I love to see real giant rich companies fighting the fuck out of each other duke it out and just yeah. blowing wads and wads of cash to do huge awesome stuff that's when it works exactly perfect <laughs> and how I, lo I love the how laconic that is just do, do it, it. <laughs> very 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 spartan do it just do it man oh and uh, a couple other little tesla details they uh updated the roadster which, you know, I mean, who doesn't have six Tesla Roadsters in their driveway? Am I right? <laughs> I could only afford two. Uh, but... <laughs> the Roadster was updated. This I saw a video of this. The It is capable in the default configuration of accelerating to 60 miles per hour in under two seconds. Damn. Count to one and then count to two. And it's already two too too long <laughs> you've already gone past <laughs> 60 miles per hour in a tesla roadster which is insane that is insane oh man beautiful and hidden sort of in that were some early render images of their uh consumer pickup truck which basically looks like the semi just a little tiny bit smaller <laughs> and not a lot smaller Okay, drooling over gear. It's what we do best, but I suppose it's time to move <laughs> along to lamenting. Lamenting how I really should have held on to my Bitcoin wallet from 2010. Oh, man. And I think now the, the, the article that we have in front of us, that that number is out of date. It's now, I think, over 15,000. Per per Bitcoin. Yeah, I believe you're right. Which is just nuts. It's very volatile. I mean, it's slid around from like 9000 back up to 14. You know, it's like it's over the last week or two. It really has been everywhere. But yeah, as I'm looking at it right now, it's about $15,500. Crazy. Um, I mean, part of that volatility has also got to be, uh, I mean, they've had some security issues recently, right? Yes. Uh, recently, a company called NiceHash, actually, as recently as a couple days ago, reported that they had a breach on their platform and somebody made off with about $70 million worth of Bitcoin, which is about, what, do we say six Bitcoin or so now? What is that up to? Yeah. The <laughs> last 60 seconds? <laughs> Uh, that's, that's a lot of, that's a lot of, that's Bitcoin. a lot of value. <laughs> that's a lot of value. So, and I didn't even realize that I think in response to this, it had pushed the price up. I think the top that we've seen over the last week was over $17,000 per Bitcoin. Wow. 
so that's, I mean, that's rough, man. So, I mean, there's no, there's no insurance on this kind of no. thing. So if you, yeah, if you lose it, it's, it's gone. It is gone. Yeah, no, there really is no recovering it once you lose access to it. Um, you know, just like cash, <laughs> just yeah, like cash. Yeah. Well, just, you know, so many proponents of, and, and we'll, I guess, talk about this a little bit in just a second here, but, you know, so many proponents of cryptocurrency, you know, tout its security based on, you know, the community and, and how that aspect works. Uh, but when something like this happens, there's, yeah, there's zero recourse. It is, I think, reflective of the 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 difference between the old world, which we I guess we have to call it the old world or the old way now, and the new way, right? New way where mm-hmm. everything is decentralized and everything resides on a blockchain in some capacity. Then this kind of a thing becomes pretty difficult to do, right? But we have siloed services, siloed services, exchanges, points where you enter and then interact with the, bl- the, the, the blockchain, right? Right. So because those silos are inherently part of the old way of doing things, they are fortresses unto themselves. And so if any one is compromised, any related, you know, user or data or anything under that umbrella, unfortunately, falls victim to all of the weaknesses of the old paradigm. Word. Bummer. It is a bummer. It is a bummer, but it's <laughs> yeah. it's growing pains too. I mean, you know, sorry. You're that's true. seventy-five million dollars are growing pains. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you yeah. know, but for the good of country, friend. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna toss another uh, link. Actually, this one is just to Amazon. We don't make any money on this, so it's not like I'm trying to hawk it. Oh, yes, we make no money. <laughs> Believe me. But I'm going to link on, uh, uh, to a book on Amazon by a guy named Andreas Antonopoulos. And I'm so bad at pre- pronouncing Greek names. but Antonopoulos. He's a really smart guy. He was recently on a podcast uh, called The Kevin Rose Show, where he goes deep into blockchain and Bitcoin and talks about it in a very accessible way, but also a very technical way. It's very, it's really quite cool. So this book is the first of his books. It's called The uh, Internet of Money, which is a collection of his talks that kind of explains Bitcoins. And his next one is coming out, I think in a couple days or weeks, I'm not sure, but really soon, which is why, you know, he's in the sort of news circuit again. But if you want to, to really get your head around, around blockchain, and what this is and why it is such a game-changing technology, this is a really good way to do it. This is a, a, a really interesting, well-written collection of digestible talks that explains the whole thing. Right on. And that's very useful because it, you know, if you're, if you're just, I don't know, I feel like casually trying to read about it and learn about how you know what blockchain is how it works what it's used for what it could be used for it's it's a little difficult to wade through if if you're trying to kind of digest it on your own so it's i'm glad that there's some somebody out there who can 
explain it in an effective way. I don't know, man. I like to think of myself as a relatively intelligent guy. And it's like, it's taken me years to be able to get my head around, you know, even back when I set up my, my wallet that I subsequently lost and never used back in 2010, I really didn't have any idea how it act, what was actually going on. I just did the thing that I thought I would, you know, and, well, I'm going to do that too. You know, <laughs> it, it's a, it's weird. It's a cool thing, but it is a, it is a paradigm shift and it. It's a different way of thinking about systems than what we've, used up until this point so you really do have to like change some wiring in your brain to get to get that to fit <laughs> i'm gonna uh change the uh lineup just a little bit here this is not in the show notes but i realized that we should probably cover it as we're doing it uh nvidia released a graphics card that is not meant for graphics Oh, I saw that. That's right. It's stupid expensive, isn't yes, it? Yes, the Titan Five or Titan V. I'm not sure which it's supposed to. Um, well, how you're supposed to say it, but it costs a <laughs> mere three thousand dollars for the graphics card. <laughs> it is supposed to be a AI focused, machine learning focused. It's like scientific simulation. Yes. Yeah. yeah, that's what it's supposed to be for. You know, because with the price tag of $3,000, only universities are going to buy this anyway. Right. But this thing is ridiculous. Ridiculous. This thing is... Um, let me just get some specs in for... Yeah. Uh, it's got a 2 process 13.8 trillion single precision floating point operations <laughs> or flops for those <laughs> in the industry <laughs> per second that is such a powerful graphics card it is unbelievable i mean it's believable but like previously you you kind of had to be like amazon with like server farms to like get this kind of density right and this is something that you're going to be able to um, sell. It's not really for a data center. It's for a PC. It's something that they want to sell to. When somebody needs on-demand artificial intelligence that's scriptable, uh, this is the device that they think you're going to buy to use. So speaking of uh, blockchain, I mean, do we, do we want to dive into this? Trying to parse through uh, understanding Ethereum. I think that we could do a, a sort of like higher level um, sort of look at this. I I thought that this would be uh, sort of important because you know you, we the second you get your head around Bitcoin, right? All of a sudden you realize that there's all of these other cryptocurrencies and they're all a little bit different. And you've probably heard of Ethereum mm -hmm. as an alternative, and most people have probably also heard that it isn't. The same as Bitcoin. Right. So we have an article here that kind of explains the differences. And it actually makes a lot of sense uh, when when you think about it. Basically, the, 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 the big difference between something like Bitcoin and a blockchain smart currency like Ethereum is that Bitcoin, the information that is 
transferred around the mining network is really just kind of two points of data, right? It's an address, mm-hmm. a place where you know the value is going, and it's a balance. Yep. How much total value do you have? Well, Ethereum right. uses something that's called a smart contract instead, okay? A smart contract being a a a think of a smart contract as a series of conditionals, okay? That if you meet those conditionals in a predetermined way, a, a, a thing will happen, a, a result will happen. And in this case, it's a, it's a transfer, a transfer of, of value, okay? So a contract has, a smart contract has four bits of data, okay? The address, just like Bitcoin, where you're going to send the value to, a balance, just mm-hmm. like Bitcoin, how much of this particular value do you have, a state and code. So what that means is, whereas Bitcoin can only can be either in my wallet or transferred to your wallet, Ethereum and smart contracts at large can be in different forms in different times, okay? Like I can have a whole range of, of states, a whole range of conditions that a particular scripted contract can can be in right think of it like you know i'm going to get half of my half of my uh money before i grade the driveway and i'm going to do half get half of my money after i grade the driveway you know right (laughs) first thing that happens is uh your your transfer enters the pre-graded state okay and as a result you are given some money, okay? Then code, this last bit that that I haven't talked about yet, the fourth data point comes into it. You execute greatdriveway.exe, <laughs> okay? <laughs> the state changes into grating. Then once the program of greatdriveway.exe has completed, the state changes to grated, and the final bit, the final conditional is satisfied. And so that last half of the value is transferred into your balance. Interesting. That's really cool. It will go for it. And, and it extends no, go, go the, the trust and the uh, decentralized nature of, of, of raw transactions like you have in Bitcoin to a whole bunch of functions that you can use in real life. That same, you know, uh, uh, safety and and tr- the ability to trust the untrusted that you get with cryptocurrency, you can extend to basically anything, any task you want to perform or any uh, uh, service you would like to render to another person or party, right? And it can be declared ahead of time so that mm-hmm. everybody can see it and, and read it and know what's coming. And then mm-hmm. the the state changes have to be verified by the mining network at large. So it becomes impossible to right, that's, fool. Yeah, that, that's, that's kind of what I was just realizing as, as you were going through it, is that it, the, the level of verification, yeah, because it's, it's not just a balance in an address, 
there's a there's a state there's an an extra line of code that's involved that has to be verified through the blockchain there's more information that needs to be uh yeah verified at large thus Mm -hmm. making it more secure exactly and auditable i mean it's it's you know you can tie it to right you can tie it to real life state you know we're throwing it around state a lot especially in modern sort of in modern development you hear it a lot thrown around in mobile development um like like apps on your phones and stuff especially ones that are talking back to some server somewhere where like the app needs to be aware of the state of your device right it needs to know how big it should mm-hmm. present certain information uh depending on which target device it's at or it, it's talking to while still using a central repo right Right. So this really, I think, opens up and, and explains this this sort of runway that we're seeing in, in, in front of us. The um, the real the real longer term benefit of blockchain technology. Well, you can hold financial institutions right accountable, <laughs> you know, you can because everything is, is like you said, immediately uh, um, auditable. Uh, there's no room for hiding, you know, anything or any, um, you know, misleading information or, you know, you're not worried about what your financial institution is doing with your money. You can, you can verify it. You can look at it yourself. Everyone can. It's, it's complete accountability right. and transparency. Right. Uh, Mr. Antonopoulos that we talked about earlier has a really interesting example in his book where he talks about charities and the the big Mm -hmm. problem with charities is that generally speaking, the places where that money is going. Yeah, totally. The the place that needs the money is usually really far away from the place that has the money and it has to get there somehow without losing 100% of the value in transit, (laughs) you know, and there can be a lot of social or, or, you know, uh, uh, illegal sometimes or just like, you know, there's a bunch of reasons why money will not make it all of the way. Right. But with a blockchain, there's there's no middleman at all there's and you you can verify in with with bitcoin alone you can verify that the recipient gets the money completely with something like ethereum which has these smart contract features you can not only make sure that the recipient gets the money but you can make sure that conditions are met for that money to be used in only certain ways that can be set and and agreed upon ahead of time very cool. Yeah, it's 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 a different it's a different world. It's a brave new world. We're moving away from this idea of there being a central clearinghouse of authority in these matters and moving into the realm of being able to trust the untrusted. If you want to follow up on this more, uh, I uh, like I said, you know, Mr. Antonopoulos is a, is a good resource, but this article called understanding ethereum smart contracts posted by a gentleman whom i am never going to get this name right so i'm not even going to try but it's a really well written article that uh, will will help you understand and it and what are those j's doing there like come on. <laughs> what you doing with that j Put down your um, j 
but there are other links in he has he, he did a whole series on he explains like uh, there are links in this article to other articles that he wrote kind of explaining what the blockchain is how it works and what uses it could be used for um it's like a three-part series um that he did and it's really good i think that's the news I think it is. Did we miss anything? Probably. Don't think so. No. We definitely, <laughs> definitely, we definitely, never. We never miss anything. That's it for the news. And if that's all you're here for, go ahead and turn us off or stick around for our deep dive. Guaranteed, we'll be back next week with latest, the greatest, and sometimes the hatedest in gaming and technology. Look us up at shinypodcast.com where you can subscribe to the latest shows and check out whatever else we're cooking up for you. Download the Shiny Podcast and all your favorite podcasting applications. If you want to say hi, make a suggestion, or send us a hot tip on tech news, visit shinypodcast.com slash contact. You fill out the form or just email us at hello at shinypodcast.com. This is probably one of the, the best summations and explanations of just how dangerous uh, uh, DRM is and, and can be uh, digital rights uh, management or digital rights media. Digital rights management. Um, yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. Um, and, and just how far it goes into suppressing competition and, um, you know, just um, lost my train of thought. It's bad. <laughs> Everybody's familiar with DMCA takedowns or, or when, you know, the Pirate Bay or Super Torrents or something gets, gets dinged and all of a sudden you go and there's some official looking you know, FBI DMC takedown notice, right? Yeah, copyright infringement. That's the, the what we're familiar with, or the letter from your ISP, right? But the point that the Electronic Frontier Foundation makes in this article is that DRM really has nothing to do with copyright at, at, all. at all. And that DRM technology is completely irrelevant. So I'm going to just read this part, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. No, I'm absolutely. This, it's, it's, it's a little long, so bear with me, but I think this is, this is a great explanation. So here's why DRM technology is never going to work, and everybody knows it. Here's how DRM works. At a high level, a company wants to provide a customer, you, with a digital asset like a movie or a book or a song or a video game or an app, but they want to control what you do with that file after you get it, so they encrypt the file. Now, we love encryption. Encryption works. With relatively little effort, anyone can scramble a file so well that no one will ever be able to decrypt it unless they're provided with the key. So let's say this is Netflix. They send you a movie that's been scrambled and they want to be sure that you can't save it and watch it later from your hard drive. But they also need to give you a way to view the movie, too. At some point, that means unscrambling the movie. And there's only one way to unscramble a file that's been competently encrypted. You have to use the key. So Netflix gives you the key. But if you have the key, you can just unscramble Netflix movies and save them to your hard drive. How can Netflix give you this key 
but control how you use it. They have to hide the key somewhere on your computer, like in a browser extension or in an app. And here's where the technology breaks down. Hiding something well is hard. Hiding something well in a piece of equipment that you give to your adversary to take away with them and do anything they want is impossible. It's just not a realistic thing to assume that the, it, it, in, with today's technology that we can continually play a game of cat and mouse with not just hackers, but anybody who has access anybody you can, like <laughs> everyone you can't it's it's not a a possible feat to keep playing this game of of hide the key inside of binaries people will just like they do every single time the goalposts are move figure it out but the powers that be know this And that's where the DRM comes in. Right. That's what this is really about. Because if you accept the reality that you can never, you can never actually control this from a technological perspective, you have to use a non-technical weapon, don't you? The law. That's right. Long, sticky arm of the law. And it is sticky. And rather unshorn, I think. <laughs> A hairy arm covered in molasses. <laughs> well, that's quite the visual. You're welcome. <laughs> in 1998, Congress passed the Digital Millennium Copyright Act, or the DMCA, which Section 1201 provides for felony liability for anyone commercially engaged in bypassing a DRM system, that is five years in prison and a five hundred thousand fucking dollar fine for a first offense. Even non-commercial bypass of DRM is subject to liability. It also makes it legally risky to talk about how to bypass a DRM system. So you can't do any research. You can't, like, even even to attempt to identify potential. Uh, flaws or problems or you know things that might do damage to somebody's system you can't even talk about it and here's where the rubber meets the road here's where the real danger comes in in this country and a lot of what we like to consider enlightened or or or, or democratized societies we have enshrined information as a basic human right in the form of the library for, mm -hmm. I mean, since, since this country's inception. We have continually demonstrated our desire to have a source, and, and a source of information and, and the ability for people to go and find that information for free. To use as they will, as part of the pursuit of happiness that you mm -hmm. are supposed to have access to, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Correct. But what DRM fundamentally does is lock up knowledge and prohibit its discussion. And at that point, the subject matter doesn't 
really matter at all. Whether it's a Netflix movie that you're trying or, to download or a, or a video game, video game or a scientific paper or an opposition article in the eyes yeah. of the law, it's all the same. And well, that's a big fucking problem. Yeah, <laughs> it sure is. Uh, and, you know, you can't. You know, because it's all locked behind DRM, you can't submit any. Um, any questions or improvements or sometimes even alternatives <laughs> to to that system because the law says that if you try to breach any of those DRM protocols, you go to jail. And of course, this, you know, remember, it's technically possible to do so. <laughs> it's no, incredibly it's, you, technically possible. It's actually not that hard. <laughs> <laughs> but legally impossible. Which so they creates, no longer have to secure it. And it creates this delta between reality <laughs> and, and the law that that entraps people and and ensnares people when what you're doing is it's it's it can be described as research from another perspective okay and right and the fear and the danger of these of these laws is that it will extend to other sources of information you know, if everything is just information, it's all written ones or zeros at the end of the day, right? Mm -hmm. What's to say that these laws could not be extended to all forms of information on the network? It's a scary thought. <laughs> now that brings us to the W3C. Probably most people who have, are listening to this have heard that term. You may or may not know who they are. I didn't really even know the full extent of who they are until recently. The W3C is the, to quote the article, the world's foremost open web standards body, a consortium whose members including companies, universities, government agencies, civil society groups, and others engage in protracted wrangles over the best way to deliver web content. They are the body that sets internet standards like HTML and how that is to be used across the network. One thing I didn't, right. didn't know is that they're not an incorporated body anywhere on the planet. Did you know that? I did, yeah. It's pretty weird. Yeah, yeah it is. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no legally registered W3C in any country on planet Earth. It's no. it's a sort of section thirty section thirty one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I've waited a long time to hear those references come out of your mouth. That's wonderful. The time is here. <laughs> They're actually just predominantly uh, uh, made up of four basic uh, people, or well, groups of people, four universities across the earth. And I know MIT is one of them. And, I, yes, they and are. I'm going to yeah. forget the other three. But um, so the W3C recently allowed or adopted a 
DRM system called the encrypted media extension format into internet standards. So a method of locking up keys inside of binaries was formally brought in to the to web standards uh, as per the W3C. This mm. caused a lot of blowback, including the Electronic Frontier Foundation to like totally jettison and abort the W3C. Yeah, they're like, we're out. <laughs> Which is, you know, I mean, I would, well, good and bad, right? I'd rather they stay and fight, but I understand why they might be like, eh. I think they make the claim that they're just like exasperated. I feel like it's not, like this is the, the, the W3C, according to the EFF, this is their opinion, is no longer capable of, of regulating and doing the job that they set out to do. And the reason for that is because, again, this is the, the EFF's position, is that the W3C is made up predominantly of industry insiders that are fully aware of what they're doing and <sighs> severely lacking in community representation. I feel like everywhere we turn, that's, that's the story. Same old song, right? Yeah. Now, of course, now that it's... Yeah. Oh, we'll do a timeout. Come on in. You're good. You're taking, it's a pause. So, of course, now that DRM makes it into the web standards, even a company as committed to open source and user freedom as Mozilla becomes compelled, if not you know, forced, to adopt the encrypted media extension because they want to be relevant. You know, like if everybody else can watch Netflix and Firefox can't, well, then Firefox is not really going to be super competitive. You're around right? for a while. Right. <laughs> but remember, the problem is that they they want to deliver that content to Firefox and to Chrome over a channel that is inherently insecure. They want to do it because they have the, 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 that sticky, unshorn, <laughs> molasses-covered arm of the law <laughs> to beat anybody that, that does the very natural thing of checking to see if this system and company that has, that has possession of your credit card numbers is doing that job successfully. I mean, I don't... Is it the... Is it just a fundamental lack of understanding at the decision-making level, Colin? I mean, like, it seems so distant from reality. I'm, yeah, it's incredibly out of touch. I mean, it's, it's gross. It's just, ugh, it's so negligent. It's so... The word I'm looking for, just I don't know. It, it's um, I don't know. Destructive. <laughs> yes, thank you. It's destructive <laughs> because here's the thing. It's, I mean, I, I was I was going for like empty, but I was thinking of like the nothing from Neverending Story, and it's like this just yeah empty destructive force. It just. Ugh. The real problem here is that we are extending a legal framework to locking up information. And one of the most famous quotes... And suppressing competition and, as well. And, and, and 
functionally enshrining the players that currently exist as the only players that can exist legally Legally. totally (laughs) you know for a variety of economic and technical reasons it's not easy to compete with netflix right and you know that's just a fact of life but when the law says that you can't investigate or change this or look into it or compete with it when the law prevents you from doing those things that is bad that is very bad i think we're we're all familiar with a gentleman named sir isaac newton who did a little bit for science way back in the day you know never heard of him (laughs) he is credited at least with with saying this if i have seen further it is by standing on the shoulders of giants the idea being that no one person invented the wheel. Right. We build upon the work of others. Society progresses as we take the intelligence and the experience and the work of somebody else and, and, and bring it into our fold and then try to make it better and then iterate and then send it, push it back out into the world. This is how we've done it for generation after generation whether it was learning how to how to how to farm and how to to rear animals or 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 how to you know eventually build machines and 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 infrastructure for city and civilization no one thing is is no one person has ever done it all on their own we all are a network of forward moving nodes of thought and work that require input in the form of information and experience to to, to progress. And this DRM in, in, in any form, but especially one that has worked its way into the internet standards, enshrines the status quo and the money-making schemes as they currently exist over the benefit of future generations to have access to information to grow. And that's disgusting. Yeah, it's pretty gross. So, so I, th- I think this article also talks about kind of where the W3C, like what their argument is. Basically, their argument is that apps have weakened the web that you know before companies made apps the web was really the only game in town so they had to play by those rules you know open standards and open web but now that the apps exist and everyone's using them um that people are forced to use the apps instead which uh use drm so they're like well we need to keep the web viable so we have to have drm too that's basically their argument which is that's such horseshit that's such horseshit nonsense (laughs) it's it's that's i can't even like put a bow on how nonsensical that is you know like (laughs) it's it's everybody is uh let me see if i can put this one together You know, when people go home to relax, they they uh, like to watch videos of people crashing cars into each other, and that seems to be the only way that and you know anybody's you know 
buying or purchasing any entertainment these days. So we decided we had to relax the laws of the interstate to allow for, you know, bumping into each other and 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 a lot of aggressive driving, speeding and 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 whatever you want to do on the road because we want to make sure that the interstates remain viable. We wouldn't want people to just sit around at home and <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. watch videos of demolition derbies now, would we? It's like these are not related <laughs> concepts. <laughs> right this is not it's like you know and yeah the internet is obviously in danger of going away like holy shit the like i can't this isn't this isn't what's gonna bring it back (laughs) but exactly by 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 dousing the fire of of innovation on the internet you're not going to enshrine it you're going to you're going to just it, I just think of kids, man. I think when we were kids, right? And how you got a computer, that thing was confusing and difficult and challenging, but but an open book, really. Like you could get in there, right. get under the hood, you can screw with stuff, you could break stuff and fix stuff and 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 nothing stopped you. And I weep, you know, I get really sad when I think about, you know, kids in 10 or 20 years like that. I don't know that we're going to, we're on a path that's going to allow them to have that experience. Yeah. Ra- rather than, rather than us programming those computers being programmed by the computer behavior. And, and if the information that gives you the keys to be the programmer are locked behind these draconian laws. Well, I don't, I don't know what that means. I'm sick of, reading about things that make me feel like our country is going to be made irrelevant in technology. I'm tired of reading about things that yeah. disadvantage <laughs> the innovators and the smart and the motivated. But we seem to be at this point in history where this is this is this is the fight, you know? This is why we keep talking about net neutrality and how often it comes up. And this is why the internet keeps freaking out about this, that, and the other thing with their banners and their, their, you know, uh, loading gifts and all that. It's, <laughs> it's because this is today. This is today's problem. This is, this is the fight we wage. We have to decide whether we want to be, we want to decide whether we want to be a society that holds profits or knowledge in higher regard. Yes, sir. That's really what it boils down to. So I don't I don't know that we have a a silver lining in all of this. I don't think there is. I think that this is one of those discussions where we just have to lay it out. And we just got to show what we think is happening. And do our best to kind of articulate that. Yeah. And I, I really do encourage people to, to read this article that we're, we're kind of referencing because it really, it really, really does a really good job of explaining all of this. And, and it's hard because DRM is so, it's a weird topic it's like how do you how do you explain it in a 
in bite-sized form, <laughs> you know, that, that the, you know, somebody can, can understand and, and process quickly. Y- you can. And so I feel like it gets ignored and pushed under the rug. Um, but it's, it's really important. not sexy. And I mean, it really, it's like not no. easy to, <laughs> no. to find that sexy angle with this stuff. Yeah. I, I just, I feel like it gets pushed into the, the, the piracy thing you know it gets pushed into that category and then disappears but it's about so much more yeah don't that. let your mind be turned off by the privacy art or the piracy argument it you know it has, it has very, very little, to do, little to do with that and you know if it is something you're worried about i would encourage you to look up the uh, statistics of what companies that allow their video games to be sold without drm make in terms of profit versus companies that lock it up you'd be surprised by how much more money can be made by allowing people to try things without making them criminals first. Yep. Um, especially in the realm of video games, I definitely recommend uh, GOG.com, uh, a non-DRM gaming platform like Steam, uh, but it's totally DRM-free. And it's run by the folks who um, made uh, the Witcher series. I'm going to go ahead and recommend getting yourself a VPN and then torrenting this shit that i'm too. serious i'm like i'm sick I'm, i mean i know that's oh my god no no fuck it the fact of the matter is that the only thing these people understand is money the only thing these people understand is money and and they they can't they cannot stop everybody from doing this as we described earlier there's no technical reason so you know what if you're interested in a video game and they don't offer a demo fuck it pirate it I'm telling you to do it right now. That's it. Look at me. I'm I'm publicly saying, go ahead and pirate it and see if you like it. You know what? If you do, purchase it. Give those people the money because they 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 have earned that. Don't just be a freeloader, okay? But if there's no way to access this experiential, you know, information about a game or a product first, go ahead and do it because there's no technical reason why you shouldn't be able to. Right on. I will uh, let you guys know when I get the letter in the mail. (laughs) I wish there was a better angle for this, but I think we are unfortunately looking at some dark days ahead with this fight. I'm not going to be pessimistic about everything. I don't know how this is going to turn out, but have to call them as we see them and we have to can't bullshit you guys. <laughs> I can't sugarcoat this one. <laughs> it's a real precipice we stand on, and I. It's a dark bel- abyss yeah. below. It sure is. So, as most of you are probably going to be close to or exactly the resident geek in your circles, it's up to you. Just like. You know, things like uh, the use of something like Evernote or the use of Google Chrome over Explore, just like we have pushed that dial in a particular direction before. It's up to you to to shoulder this responsibility or just get used to never having access to information for the rest of humanity's existence. Not that the stakes are very high. 
All right, that's going to do it for us, folks. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you want to hit us up on our social media, we are uh, Twitter at Shiny the Podcast, Facebook at Shiny Podcast. Uh, you can also email us, hello at shinypodcast.com. We will uh, be back next week for, for more tech news and, and such, so hope you'll tune in uh, then. Also, if you have a moment, please, 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 with a cherry on top, if you have time, give us a review on iTunes. It uh, goes a long way to uh, getting us more listeners, and we would very much appreciate it. Colin, it's been a pleasure. It has been a pleasure. Uh, Thanks, everyone, again. Signing off. I'll just edit out that last little little bit. Good. You're good. <laughs>